Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps, the weekly podcast exploring the business of storytelling, where I interview many of the world's greatest marketers and storytellers to share their insights and ideas of how to put emotion into marketing. This week I talked to the whirlwind superstar Ted Rubin. He literally is a marketing superstar. He's been recognized by Forbes as one of the top 20 social media influencers and his knowledge is a powerhouse of strategy and tactics. He's a leading social media strategist, keynote speaker, brand evangelist and acting CMO of Brand Innovators. The most followed CMO on Twitter, according to Social Media Marketing Magazine, and he's the author of Return on Relationships. This week, we talk about the power of a community over the value of a network. We talk about listening with your eyes and helping your company grow by helping your employees grow. Well, hello again. Thanks for joining me for another uh, another show. This week, I have Ted Rubin, um, a huge influencer, somebody I've uh, I've got a lot of time for, uh, an author of uh, Return on Relationships, um, and somebody I'm really looking forward to talking to now. Hello, Ted. Hey, Brian. How are you? So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Um, I'm really pleased to join us. I can't wait to get into today's show. I've got loads and loads of questions for you. Oh, goody. So I'm going to, but I've got to resist jumping in with all of these questions. Ted, can you set the scene for us? Uh, I'm really keen to speak to you um, because you're an influencer and I've got something very close to my heart, which is um, employee advocacy uh, and also. What I like about you, Ted, is you cut through a lot of the crap and get to the heart of the matter, um, which which is people and real relationships. So set the scene for us, Ted. Tell us um, tell us about a little bit about your philosophy from the standpoint of uh, return on relationships. Um, well, you know what I like to say is simply put, in a return on relationship is the value that's accrued by a person or a brand. Due to nurturing a relationship, it's really pretty simple. To me, ROI is simple dollars and cents. But ROR, return a relationship, well, the hashtag I use, R-O-N-R, and there's a story behind that. So if we're getting into storytelling, we can go there. But ROR is the value both perceived and real that will accrue over time through connection, loyalty, recommendations, and sharing. And for me, it's used to define and educate companies, brands, and people about the importance of creating authentic connection, interaction, and engagement. Brilliant, brilliant. Because there's a lot of people giving great advice around how to build community. Oh, by the way, I have to say, I, I just want to say that I love the expression "brilliant." Okay, I, I was in London uh, tw- <laughs> twice last year, and and you know there were a few expressions that I really took to, but one of them is I just love because "brilliant" is like it sounds so nice, and you guys say it's so lovely, and 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 it's good for like everything. Like that meal was brilliant, and you know, oh my god, the evening it was brilliant. And, uh, uh, so I'm I just gonna, want to tell you that every time you say that, you're making me smile. Great, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I say <laughs> as much as possible. Superb. Right. Well, Ted. It would be brilliant if you could <laughs> elaborate a little bit on, on your sort of standpoint from, um, from the fact that a lot of people, there's a lot of great influencers out there talking about how to build communities um, and how to engage and, and this, this, that and the other. But um, I do think there's a lot of marketers who neglect to remember there's a, pe- there's a person at the end of every 
um, iPhone and the end of every every channel and neglect to put the people first and especially when we're talking about building communities they might look at traffic stats they might look at engagement rates and reach and all the rest of it how do you measure the effectiveness of of what you're doing in terms of engaging with people well you know first of all i think you've hit on a very important point i think what a lot of people call community building is actually network building okay um and, and i like to say that a network gives you reach but a community gives you power because a network is just a series of nodes. Now, let's not take away from it. I'm, I'm using the word just a series, but, you know, to build up a network that's extensive and that grows outward, it's, you know, very LinkedIn. This one's connected to that one and that one's connected to that one. And you can look three levels out, but there's no, there's no real support or anything there more than accessibility. Whereas a community is a group of people that support each other. You know, sometimes because they believe in each other, sometimes just because they're part of that community. And support doesn't necessarily mean agreeing with the person. It means knowing that this is a person I value. It's a human being. And I'm, I'm here to support them because I know that they're here to support me. And it's kind of a pay it forward type of model. Mm-hmm. But to, to me, that's where the real power comes. And that's where the real value comes. So, you know, when you talk about measurement, there's a lot of different things you can measure to determine whether your efforts are, are creating results. The, the growth of your community or network, uh, the amount of times people share content that you're putting out there, the amount of people that like. And by the way, there is a value to a like. It's still someone that came somewhere and clicked a button and said, you know, I, I value this in one way or another. Um, and by the way, like, unfortunately, there is no dislike button. <laughs> so, so very often, like, like I like a lot of comments that I don't necessarily like on my posts, but what I'm liking is the fact of the, the engagement. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And that there be, so what I like to say is that 2000 and beyond needs to be the years of doing what I call looking people in the eye digitally. You know, the last few decades of marketing tactics, you know, in my humble opinion, have made us all lazy communicators. Most often, we don't even pay attention to who we're talking to, other than via the data we collect. And even that's a maybe, because there's so much data out there, most people don't even know how to wade through it. And truth be told, most companies aren't even using it yeah. appropriately. Absolutely. But in order to fix this, and this gets to some of the heart of what you were just talking about, we really need to start to benefit from social relationships, both as individuals and companies, and we need to start looking people in the eye digitally. And what that means is actually paying attention to who they are, reading their bios, reading their content, seeing where they're from, making the same kind of content comments you would to someone that you met in person in an interview or if you were trying to sell them something. Let's let's look at salesmen, for instance. I, I like to say that I think, and this might be a little bit of my prejudice because I am a former salesman, <laughs> but that, that great salesmen make the best marketers um, because a great salesman is ter- toward first and foremost – or not only is taught, but understands first and foremost and executes first and foremost that listening is the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. And that you don't, ju- and, and the best salespeople don't just listen with their eyes. They listen with their ear. I, I mean, don't just listen with their ears. They listen with their eyes by observing and they yeah. listen with their heart Absolutely. by feeling and using their judgment. And when we all, if we, you know, there's so much lip service given now to this, like, as you call community building or storytelling. And a lot of storytelling is one way. They're using storytelling. 
as an entertainment form to get your attention instead of as an emotional form mm. to, to, to win your heart and mind and to really get you involved. And to me, once you can start measuring those things, and I'm not saying it's easy, but there's ways to do this. There's, there's ways to set baselines before you tell a story or before you start using content marketing and then see how it affects it. You look at really good, strong direct marketing companies, they all understand three metrics and every CEO and every CFO understands these metrics. Lifetime value of a customer, mm -hmm. average order value, mm -hmm. and frequency of purchase. Yeah. Now, what, you need, what we need to start doing with all these social marketing, storytelling, content marketing engagement efforts is start going back to the past. A, a buddy of mine says the future of retail is the past. And I've, I've, kind of, I've kind of grabbed that because I never used those words to say it, but I've, what I like to say is that commerce has come for a circle and we now want to go back to the days when merchants knew us because we were led to believe that we were anonymous for all these years, but we never were. Everybody was collecting data and using it. They just weren't telling us. Now that we're aware of it, we're okay with it as long as that data is used to add value. So do you think, um, I mean, the technology has got, as well, with the technology simply wasn't in existence years ago. Ryan, we have the technology. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we're like in a Star Trek episode, you know, like, um, it, no, the technology was certainly there. We yeah. just were not aware of it. And the yeah. reason it was there is we were all using credit cards. We were all using checking accounts. We were all joining loyalty clubs. And we were all giving all this information to the mass merchandisers, all the big stores. We just really didn't know it. Merc American Express has been sharing our data since the 50s, okay? <laughs> and, and, and they were they were targeting us since the 50s. Uh, and we thought we had become anonymous. We thought it wasn't like what it was in our small towns anymore where our local merchant knew everything about our lives. But now what we've become aware of, because all this stuff has become more transparent mm -hmm. and, and, and available to us even to view, that we're giving away all our data and actually we're fine with it as long as we get value in return, as long as it's not just about an upsell. But it's interesting, isn't it? With the technology, you know, I think, I think what you said before is absolutely right. We've got, the, we've got the technology to get so much data on our entire audience now, but how many marketers are using it? And in the absence of the technology years ago for the average marketer, not the huge organization, the brand that could collect all the, the, sort of, um, the, the data you're talking about there, like the big supermarkets, the only way they could collect any intelligence, I guess, was to do it longhand, which probably involved talking to people and looking them in the eye for real never mind looking in the oh my digital. god talking to people oh. <laughs> <laughs> really oh, oh listen i'm gonna tell your audience something right now because i'm gonna i had sorry to cut you off but that's what i do my head's like a twitter feed it goes in a million different directions you go for but it, i'm too. gonna tell everybody that you know that i i bet you that 99 0.9% of your audience has smartphones. And, and what they don't recognize, and they all have apps on their phones, right? We all have like, you know, who knows, dozens of apps on our phones. What most of them don't recognize is they all have this app that comes pre-installed on the phone that they probably forgot or does, don't know it's there. It has numbers zero to nine, <laughs> zero, one through nine. And if you press seven to 10 of them, at least here in the States, it's probably a different number over in the UK. But if you do that, you actually hear somebody's voice. It's does that still work? 
It's fucking remarkable. Does Ryan. that still work? That's incredible. It, it does, and you can you can express emotion without using emoticons. Imagine that. You can actually laugh. You can cry. You can yell. You can talk softly. It is a minor miracle. Now I'm just going to give you. I'm going to leave you with this. Give you an audience a little a little uh, tip, a little suggestion, and then we can go back to our conversation for the next thirty days. I'm giving. Pick up the phone every day, once a day, and call someone you haven't spoken to in a while, and just say hello. Tell them. You just want to know if there's anything you can do for them. If they want to chat, chat for a few minutes. If they don't, say, hey, it's nice talking to you and get off the phone. And you know what? They will share that with other people. Your reputation will precede you. I like to say a brand is what a business or a person does, and a reputation is what people remember and share. My phone number is 516-270-5511. Feel free to actually call me if you like. Okay, go ahead. Let's continue. (laughs) (laughs) How many people are actually going to call you, Ted? Uh, Off of this podcast, maybe one. Now, um, normally when I speak to audiences anywhere from like 600 to a few thousand, I get two or three calls, maybe four. I usually get at least one while I'm still up on stage. Um, (laughs) I will tell you that when I speak to audiences of women, and I spoke at Origami Owls National Convention, 5,000 direct sellers, all women in the audience, I got 350 calls. Really? Wow. And I called everyone back. It took me three days, but here's the best part. When I finally got to the last part of the list, because it was, you know, it was 350 calls, I was calling the last few, and one of them says to me, oh, really? It took you three days to call me. You call call that return on relationship? And I said, said, "Um, excuse me, and I'll leave her name out. Um, I, I got 350 calls. She goes, oh. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess you had to call them back, didn't you? Otherwise, that's your reputation shot, at least for those people and whoever they told afterwards, right? No, absolutely. And if I say, feel free to call me, and then if I don't respond... You know, what is that saying? You know, the, the beauty of this, Brian, is that, you know, most people don't call. Um, and those that do call, like the 350 that did call, were tremendously respectful of my time. They really just wanted to say hello. They wanted to see if I would actually call them back. But once I got them, they didn't. most of them were like, oh, my God, you don't have to talk to me. I'm like, no, I'm happy to talk to you. And, and what normally when I only get a few, what happens is everybody in the audience tweets out or shares with their friends, oh, my God, Ted Rubin gave out his real phone number on stage. And what that does is it enhances your reputation. Now, granted, everyone starts calling me back, I might have to think I might have to think this strategy through again but, but, but what I will tell you is give out your phone number it makes people feel good about you um, but they won't call you so don't worry about it <laughs> oh, superb superb not not brave enough to give out my, my phone number just yet but you <laughs> hey Ted I um, I saw a quote uh, a Ted a Ted Rubin quote the other day and I've got to ask you about it it leads us nicely onto what I want to talk about anyway um, Brands are from Mars, consumers and employees are from Venus. Give me and the audience an insight. What do you mean there? Well, if you're familiar with the book, um, um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, what I'm implying here is that brands are like men, which means they don't care what you have to say. They're not interested (laughs) in listening to you. Hell, we don't even listen to each other. We just wait for each other to finish what they're saying so we can come back and say what we want to say. And if we're listening at all, it's just so we can frame our response. Okay, Whereas, whereas consumers and employees are like women in that they want to be heard, they, they share with each other. They're interested in listening. They will listen to you as a company if you share back with them. And, you know, what? the end of that quote is that brands have to learn to communicate differently. Mm. 
Just like us as men, if you really want to have a good relationship with a woman, as hard as it is, and by the way, don't think I can do this because I can't. I can do it as a, I can most certainly do it as a, as an influencer, as a business, as a thought leader, as a social marketing guy, as a guy friend, but as a boyfriend or husband, I'm like every other freaking guy. I'm not paying attention at all because when, when, when the emotional component gets in there, it gets very hard. So as brands, we have to start thinking, look, just imagine if husbands of the world would actually get up and take out the garbage when their wives asked them to. They would probably not have to listen to anything else for the next week or so because the wife would be so stunned and thrilled. You know, uh, now that's what businesses have to start doing. They have to start re being reactive to, to, the, to the request, to the engagement, to the inquiries of their consumers and, their, and especially their employees. We overlook this amazing, vast resource of advocacy um, and hard work and everything else in our employees. I mean, most companies, and look, there are a lot of companies doing a great job, but most companies, and even the ones that give you a great workspace or give you a great environment or allow you to exercise your mind, many of them don't appreciate you as a potential advocate. And I think companies need to just start listening differently. They need to become more like women. And women actually listen to each other. It's remarkable. You know, sit yourself in a room of women sometime. And yes, you know, you'll get all the stereotypical cattiness and stuff like that. But, but you know what? Watch even the way they're catty. They're listening to every word each one is saying. And they, and they are scripting their response, not the way us guys do, where we use the same put-downs every single freaking time. They make them personalized and directed to the person they're talking to. Uh, personalized put-downs. Now, that's why I can't yeah. win... That's why I can't win an argument with them. That's um... why our buddies just laugh at us. We, put them... <laughs> so... we, just, we just mess with each other and go, yeah, same shit, different day. Bye. <laughs> so... <laughs> so... <laughs> That's brilliant. So brands need to start taking out the garbage, right? It, it, you know, brands need to start taking out the garbage yeah. when, when they're asked to take out the garbage, not three weeks, not five hours later. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm going to tweet that. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Oh, this is superb. Do you know, <laughs> speaking of, of, of garbage, do you know, one thing that bugs me, and this, um, I really I really hope you agree, <laughs> so I'm about to be shot down in flames, right? But one thing I'm a little bit tired of is um, the use of storytelling from a brand, right? And when, when you look into it, the stories are conceived and contrived, and they're synthetic, and they were born in the marketing department, okay? <laughs> and sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're technically, you could call them authentic, but um, under a very thin veneer, they're actually a stunt, and they might represent brand values, but they're, for me, they're not authentic. And I also believe that if you look hard enough uh, and you know what your brand stands for, you will find phenomenal, authentic, real stories in most businesses, but they are not used 99.999% of the time because the marketing department doesn't talk to the HR department or the operations department. Or the, or the customer service department. Hello? <laughs> How can customer service not report to the CMO? I mean, imagine the disconnect. Here we are as marketers shouting out to the world how much we love our customers, how true we want to be, how authentic we want to be, how, how they come first. And then the first answer on a customer service line is always no, because they know 70% of the people hang up. <laughs> so what needs to change inside an organization um, to start that flow of information um, 
and empower the marketing department to be a little bit more authentic? Well, you know, I, I think you really addressed two things here, Brian. You started out with the canned responses, okay? And, you know, basic canned responses have a place. Um, you know, I agree 100% with you that they can't, be follow they can't be in and of themselves and followed up with air or with more canned responses. So, you know, look, you have Twitter and, and you have a company like JetBlue, which to me is probably the state-of-the-art, one of the best engagers and, and interactors on, on, on Twitter. Um, I don't say on social because like most companies, like the vast majority, they do a ridiculously bad job via other platforms like <laughs> Facebook, um, where for some reason everyone's decided Twitter's the only place they can respond and they ignore everybody on Facebook. But that's a, that's a discussion for another time. So what they do, like for instance, if I get on the, if I get on and I complain, and, and along with probably, as, as if I'm on a flight that's delayed, there's probably another few dozen people making the same complaint. And I start out by just saying, oh, I'm so disappointed, you know, JetBlue, my flight is delayed. There's nothing wrong with a basic, you know, cut and paste response that says, so, you know, if, if there's lots of these complaints that says, so sorry that, you know, you're, you're feeling that way, we're doing everything we can to fix the problem, we hope to have you in the air soon. Okay, but what happens is the problem is, and this is not JetBlue's problem, because they do a great job with this, is that most companies like like whether it's Delta or, or oh my god one of the worst offenders is Virgin or a lot of the others is the first line comes out and then when you say yeah well really what's going on then they come out with another can response instead of getting personal at that point because you know what the field narrows tremendously if you have I don't care if you have 50 people on 10 different flights, 500 people writing that first complaint. You send out that boilerplate first can response. The odds are maybe at most 1% of that 500, five people are coming back with, or 10 people are coming back with another reply. So now it's manageable. And now you start, and JetBlue does this. Now you got to get personal. Now you've got to mention them by name. Now you've got to start. And by the way, when you put that can one in, if you're doing it right, you look at the goddamn profile. You look them at that looking someone in the eye digitally, and you use their name. So you say, Brian, so sorry. But unfortunately, most of these companies can't take that extra few seconds to add the person's name to whether it's the tweet, the text, the email reply. We should all be doing that. I step back almost always as I'm sending a tweet, an, e an email, a text, and I remember, and it takes me a couple of seconds longer to add someone's name because there's no, there's no word in any language that's sweeter to the ears of any person than the sound of their own name. Absolutely. I was going to say, and if you do use that element of personalization, chances are that 1% will reduce because people are so ecstatic just to see their own name and that personal response, then they're suddenly pacified. And that's another great point you made, is that people are ecstatic when you do that. People say, oh, nobody cares if a brand recognizes them and knows them. Bullshit. They really love that. Look, this goes back to, that. by the way, that thing about your own name, that's not mine. I can't take credit for it. That's Dale Carnegie. Absolutely. That, that, that yeah. comes from my favorite social media book ever written, yeah. which was written in 1936, yeah. and it's called How, How to, to Win, Win Friends, Friends and Influence People, people by Dale Carnegie, which is more relevant today than it was then, because back then you were lucky to meet 100 people in your lifetime. Now you're meeting 100 people in three seconds. And I just want to throw a shout out to a, a, a UK brother of yours, Jeremy Waite. Um, who is with Salesforce and used to be with Adobe. When he was with Adobe, we became friends, and he went out and found me an original copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Really? It sits, on, wow. sits on my mantle at home and sent it to me. Jeremy, you're the man, buddy. Love wow. you. That is that's awesome. Do you know, that was the first 
um, personal development book I ever read. And from then I've been hooked and I've read hundreds more. So and, and it's funny you mentioned a personal development book because a buddy of mine, Brian Fanzo, I social fans on Twitter and Instagram, great guy, uh, put out a tweet this morning and he was quoting Harvey Mackey. And it, like I said, oh my God, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite self-improvement books of all time is called Swim with the Sharks uh, uh, Without Being Eaten Alive. And it's by Harvey Mackey and it's outsell, outmanage, outmotivate, and outnegotiate your competition. And I went and pulled out the book because I save all of these books and I took pictures of it to show Brian's audience not only the, my, my copy and how worn it is and how it has an old Yo-Yo Dine Entertainment sticker on it, back from when I worked with Seth Godin in 1997 and 1998 at Yo-Yo Dine, but all the pages that are dog to remind me and to, that I could go back and review. So there's another great old-time book for your friends. I don't know if you ever read that one, but if you didn't, it's worth going back and reading. I've not read that, actually. I've heard of it, but I've not read it, but I, I will do now because I'm, uh, I'm a sucker for a good personal development book. Now, now let, let's get back to the second <laughs> Let's no, get back I, to it. I, I don't want to forget it because yeah, yeah, yeah. your question was about silos that exist within companies yeah. that, that, that are causing us to not engage and interact, that are causing us not to know. In other words, we're doing all this great work with omni-channel retail and omni-channel commerce, and we're, we're, we're trying to make sure that our store versus our website versus our mobile versus everything else talks to each other, and then we're working on attribution because the biggest problem is salespeople in different places don't get their, their due when something's sold somewhere, but we're forgetting about that same omni-channel approach within our own organization, and where where HR and communications and PR and, oh, PR and communication probably one and the same. And marketing and customer service are out there doing their own thing 90% of the time not even communicating with each other or, or even worse yet competing with each other. And this goes back to our discussion. This is great how this all weaves together to employee advocacy because one of the major things standing in the way right now of employee advocacy rolling out and employee advocacy is being rec recognized as a huge value for companies across the board. But one of the biggest problems, and I'm on the board of Dynamic Signal, I've been so for almost two years now, and, and I know this firsthand, is that there's an internal fight whenever a, a, an employee advocacy platform becomes a subject of, of decision for a company of who's going to own it. Mm. And, and PR, uh, human, resources, communication, human resource communications and marketing have that fight about who's going to control employee advocacy. And marketing says, hey, we want to control it because we're marketing and oh my God, this can be a tremendous marketing arm for us. And then communication says, oh, we want to control it because we're responsible for all communications that comes out of this company and employees are coming out of this company. And then HR, who by the way is the last part that should own any company, and unfortunately they are winning the battle, <laughs> is they come out and say, hey, we own the employees. And if you're going to ask employees to do anything, it has to go through us. Mm. And, and which is absolutely ridiculous because nobody owns freaking employees. We all own ourselves. <laughs> well, uh, but if organizations have got a good uh, employee value proposition that all of those all of those departments not just buy into, but were actually um, they turned up when it was being conceived, then that's what will bind all of those things together, right? Um, well, that's hopefully what would bind it together. Unfortunately, it's just not the case in most companies because as companies get bigger, these, com these groups become autonomous and then they all struggle for power because that's just the way things work in big companies. In, in, unlike in small companies when, a, when, when the boss can just get three people in a room and say, okay, let's stop the shit. We all have to work together because we're competing against IBM and we're going to lose if we keep infighting. But the big companies make infighting an art. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> it's so true, you know. And we still we still go in organisations, and we are um, absolutely flabbergasted to um, to not find any guidelines around social media use within um, teams and, and employees. That's that's usually what we find. But how, how about the person you hire because their specialty is internal politics? <laughs> Fucking politics in business. Imagine. We're trying to do everything we can to bring people that think like businessmen into politics. But businesses are trying to bring people who understand politics into business. Ah, oh, that's a scary prospect. That is a scary prospect. But that's you like know, the exact opposite of return on relationship. But, but you know, I, I don't know whether this is... Um, worse or slightly better because the second thing we find is sometimes there are social media guidelines in an organization. But, Ted, usually in my experience, and this might be uh, skewed by just my experience, usually social media guidelines, a guidebook, focuses more on what you can't do than what you actually can do. Now, what's your experience? Do you agree with that or... Oh, that's that. You know, I got to tell you, that's another thing I'm going to have to tweet. That was perfect. That was perfectly stated. Uh, no, no, really. And, and that one, the other one I'm taking is my own attribution, but that one I'm going to have to give you attribution on. Uh, 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 no, brilliant, really. I should say. Brilliant. It is. It's brilliant. And, and it's actually, it's actually the real definition. It's actually brilliant because it, it, it's pointing out one of the biggest problems and it goes towards one of the pr- reasons that employee advocacy has such problems until you can bring in a platform that it allows you to properly manage it is that the reason most employees don't share socially about their companies is fear that they will share something they're not allowed to share yep. and fear that they will share something that makes them look stupid. The same reason brainstorming sessions have no brainstorming because everyone's afraid to say what they think because they're afraid that they'll, someone will belittle them. Okay. And, and I think what you said is really true is that and I, the, one of the reasons I joined Dynamic Signal is they, they know that I uh, have a, a term that says empower your employees and they will power your brand. And a big part of what I believe in that is helping them build their influence, build their expertise, um, 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 frame and share their expertise and get better at using these platforms. So part and parcel of putting in a platform like this and giving them content to share is helping them grow their network, teaching them how to use Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, having classes about that, making them better after they join you at something that isn't in their job description than before they joined you. Help them become better at what's going to help them build their personal brand. Because in today's day and age, we all need to consider that. And we all need to think about building our reach, our communities, our tribes, our influence. Yeah. And, and if we're smart, what we say is, we take the attitude that I try to take is do for others without expectation of anything directly in return, because you will get that return. It just might not come directly from that person. And when you take that attitude, people feel compelled to do for you. Find someone in your life, in your office, in your school, somewhere, that person, you know, that doesn't like you. And I'm not talking about the person that hates you, but the person that just doesn't have anything like they don't, they don't have anything good to say. They roll their eyes. Whenever you make a, a comment or a suggestion, take that person and show up, find out what their favorite beverage is. Um, And of course, if it's alcohol, do it at night. But if it's like, try not with their favorite morning or afternoon beverages, coffee, tea, whatever, a Coke, a Diet Coke. And every day for the next week, bring them that beverage. And I promise you, they will feel compelled to do something for you nice in return. And it's the same thing with employees. If you help them grow their brand, if you teach them how to use social, they're going to feel compelled to, help, to use that new influence 
to help their company. And plus, everybody wants to feel good about the company they're working for. They just two things. They don't know. They don't know how to. First of all, they're afraid of what to share. So you solve that problem by giving them content that's pre-approved. You reward them for it. It doesn't have to be money. It can be a leaderboard. It can be just a pat on the back. And then you also, more importantly, you reward them in advance by helping them grow their influence in their network and tell them you don't have to do anything for me in return. I just want you to be better. American Express does an amazing job of this. Try to find someone who's an ex-American Express employee, whether they were let go, fired, downsized, whatever, and see if you can find anybody who says a bad word to say it about them. You won't. You will only find people that say, oh, I love the American Express, or I still love American Express, because American Express in, in, supports their employees straight through their employment into their unemployment. Wow, that, that's a hell of a statement to make, isn't it? You know, I mean, what, what I picked up on there is, you know, I started off by saying, you know, if anyone's organized, they have social media guidelines, but usually they're negative. Uh, basically, what I've what I've just been thinking, it's, it's not even good enough to have social media guidelines that are positive and empowering. What you're saying is you've got to go beyond that. You've got to um, be yes. proactive. You've got to put on events and really encourage and draw people in. That's when they're going to be proactive advocates, advocates of, of your brand, right? Yes. And, and something, um, something I heard you talk about um, – a while back, Ted, which stuck with me actually, and I've also been monitoring this in my own offices. There's about fifty of us here. Um, you talk about cigarette breaks um, doubling <laughs> over the last ten years, and actually, they're not cigarette breaks; they are smartphone breaks. And yes. I tell you this: you are right. You are right. Oh my God! You know you- what? I wish you were a woman because then my day would really have been made. <laughs> Brilliant. Why is that, Ted? <laughs> because you said that I'm right. <laughs> Well, feel free to tweet that. (laughs) But, you know, what is the cost to business for not empowering your employees with social media? You you know, you've hit on a really good point because most companies, whether it's about this topic or things like retargeting, we, we tend not to look at the other side of things. In other words, all we think about is, well, this is what's going to take to empower them, and we're going to have to pay for this platform, and then we're going to have to pay for training. And, oh, my God, we we're probably going to have to have such lost productivity because everyone's just going to be hanging out in Facebook, like as if they're not doing it already, if they, if they want to, on their smartphones, on their, on their second, third, and fourth screens. I mean, remember something. Way before social media, there was time wasters. I it, Believe me, I remember at one point when I was working at this job I hated, I was the best time waster in the world. <laughs> I mean, you know, anybody can find ways to waste time. So, unfortunately, we very rarely do we look at what are we losing by not doing it. So then there's some simple math to that. Let, you have 50, let's just make it real simple. Your company, you have 50 employees. And let's say you, you know, you're involved in this social media thing, so probably your employees are a little bit more active than, than the norm. So, let, so let, let's say your average employee has 2,000 connections on social media networks. Yep. I would bet you the number's probably higher, but yep. let's say that. Mm-hmm. So let's multiply 50 times 2,000, and now we're talking about 100,000 connections. Now, let's say that out of those 100,000 connections, their average reach is 500. Multiply 100,000 times 500, you get 50 million. That is the first line, one step away opportunity 
to add reach and impressions to what you're doing for your company. And you're a freaking 50-person company. Imagine IBM with 400,000 employees. Imagine your average large company with thousands of employees. And what would happen if their average employee didn't have 100 social connections but had 10,000 social connections? Well, let's take a number that's easily reached, 2,000 social connections. The numbers become astronomical. There's where you have to start doing the math. And then imagine if they're well-trained, that they know how to engage and interact. And think about it. It's not just impressions now. It's emotional feelings about you and your company. It's giving a voice and a face to the product and service you're offering. The opportunity is dramatic. And guess what? Unlike consumers who are fickle, who come and go, one day they like one product, one day they like another. Yes, if you do a good job, you can keep them loyal, but they're much less likely to be loyal than an employee who's Mm. check your writing, who comes to your office every day, who interacts and engages with your other employees, who thinks of it as a community, Mm. not a network. There's there's that opportunity. You know, this is like you know I'm I don't like retargeting in marketing, and and I'm assume your audience knows what retargeting is. And the reason I don't like it is because it's really about upsell. It's really about just selling me more shit. And very few companies look at the other side of it. Because by the way, if you do the right judging then retargeting might be awesome. But what happens is the guy selling retargeting is selling it just the way I would sell it because it's an easy sell. You walk into a company, you say, I'll give you this, uh, this, this ability for free for a month so you can start retargeting all your people. Oh my God, you just sold 5% more in all your carts and we would have charged you X amount of dollars which equates to 2%. You just made a free 3% margin. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. And everyone says, oh my God, we have to do this. And they write you a check and you start retargeting. But you don't look the 95% of the people who are giving you the finger because as they're walking out the door, you're trying to sell them more stuff or you're giving them a coupon you should have given them when they were in the store and you're not looking at the repercussions. And that was okay back in the day when we had no ability to speak to those people other than surveying them. But now all we have to do is do some social listening and we can hear how angry they are. (laughs) Well, I think that's a... That's a tangent, that's a rabbit hole we could disappear into for a long time. But one thing, um, one thing that I'd, I wanted to sort of point out there in terms of the um, employee advocacy thing is that there's probably a lot of lone marketers out there working within a small operational team that have probably just leaned forward, the light bulb's gone on, think, oh my God, I'm not alone. The resources I've requested from the, uh, from the directors, uh, possibly I don't need because look around me, I've got this infrastructure of all these people who could actually be a marketing department and make my life easy. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of, in terms of uh, breaking the week up, Ted, for, um, for people in that situation, how much time should the head of marketing be inwardly facing um, compared to outwardly facing and interacting with prospects? You know, that, that, that is not an answer that you can give as a percentage. That all depends on the business. I mean, anybody that gives you a general percentage for any of these things you know, is somebody that I'd be wary of uh, because every company is different. What I will say is I believe that CMOs, if that's who we're referring to as heads of marketing, um, and all executive level marketers need to spend more time looking internally because that's about team building. I mean, you know, and, and if we don't mentor and coach our employees, uh, and if we don't do that from the upper levels of people that have that experience, then we're, you know, then we're also wasting a major asset. So uh, I would say that whatever number it is now, it should be more. 
that, that's, that, that's as much as I, w- I want to go with rather than a, a percentage. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good rule of thumb. Whatever it is now, you should be doing it more. And that's, that's probably right, right on the money there. Brilliant. Ted, we can leave it there because, um, well, it's, it's, it's the end of the show. But before we do, I want to give you the final word. So, first of all, where can people find out more about you, and is there anything you'd like to draw our audience's attention to or leave us with? Well, you know, there is. Um, first of all, it's easy to find me. Just Google me, Ted Rubin. Uh, the first five pages, maybe the first ten pages is all me, other than the 98-year-old Medal of Award winner from World War II. Uh, that's not me. <laughs> I am old, but I'm not that old. Um, I'm TedRubin.com, Ted Rubin on Twitter, Ted Rubin on Instagram, Ted Rubin on Pinterest, Ted Rubin on Snapchat, Ted Rubin on, uh, on, on uh, Periscope, um, Ted Rubin USA on um, YouTube. We won't go there. Why it's that? That's just some of the inner workings of Gmail that suck. Um, but I am a big fan of Gmail, actually. So I'll take back that that thing. Uh, what I would like to leave you with is two things. First of all, I have another besides TedRubin.com, which is the hub of everything they do. I do. I I have a another site, ReturnOnRelationship.com, mm-hmm. and make sure that's that's singular, not relationships. It's ReturnOnRelationship.com, just like my book. Um, I've just relaunched it using uh, a back end of a company called Expressible, uh, whose whose advisory board I'm on. It's really cool, and it's made it much more dynamic and fun. So I'd love for you to check that out. That because Return Relationship is the hub for all of my my books. The first one was Return Relationship. The one that I, I released this past uh, January and March to March was called How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a new companion book to that now, which is How to Look People in the Eye Digitally by uh, Think Aha, which has 140 of my best how to look people in the eye digitally tweets in the book and the app allows you to share them out. Um, So, you know, that would be nice if people check that out. And then the last thing I want to leave you with is really simple is that two things. First of all, relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. And then I'm going to leave you with just a little simple story because we did start out with storytelling and uh, I'm a divorced dad and those of you that know me, I have to fight to keep my daughters in my life, and, and my time with them is precious. And I found myself as a recently divorced dad with two little girls who were five and seven years old and always bickering because that's what little girls do. Um, and, and I was left with what I call the divorced dad car, which is the small convertible with the seats in the back that are way too close together. And, and if you have children, you've witnessed this for yourself. You know, daddy, she's touching me. She's pinching me. She's staring at me. And my personal favorite, daddy, she's smelling me (laughs) okay where do you go with that imagine my little daughter sticking her nose in my older one's face making a loud snorting noise just to make sure you could hear it and i'm sitting here you know going crazy pulling hair out of my head so you know i'm bald before at that point i still had a little hair left and i'm thinking that what do i do here and i started thinking to what i do when i'm with my daughters on the playground and when i was when i'm with my daughters outdoors or on the playground and they start fighting and bickering i grab them by the hands and i skip with them because nobody can be unhappy when they're skipping. And I have to tell you, if you have kids, you know that if you take your kids' hands and skip with them, they automatically get happy. So I'm going to leave your audience with one last piece of advice. If you're having a bad day, get up from your desk and take a skip. I, I do this every day. I promise you it will make you feel better. But if it doesn't make you feel better, I guarantee it will make the people around you feel better when they see you doing it. 
<laughs> and and here's, the most, here's the most important point. If you can make your consumers, your employees, your vendors, your friends and family metaphorically skip with every interaction they have with you and your brand, you win. Wow. Well, I'm going to end with a very genuine, brilliant, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Ted, I can't thank you enough for today. I hope I've been um, a Venetian interviewer listening properly. Uh, I know um, the audience have definitely been a Venetian audience. Hanging on a lot of your words. And um, Oh, by the way, guys, if, uh, if you start this podcast again and you put it on um, 0.5, times which you can do in a podcast you can slow it down um ted talks so fast we've been lucky enough to get about an hour and a half of um of value out of ted ted i've got loads more questions hopefully you'll come back again and talk to me about those but for now thank you so much looking forward <laughs> so that's it for another week i really hope you enjoyed that conversation if you did please feel free to subscribe or even check out our Getting Goosebumps marketing book available in Amazon. If you have any specific questions, you can also tweet us using the hashtag AskPH. I'd be delighted to answer your questions. Until next week, goodbye.